We are going to go fast through these first two questions. There'll be a lot of stuff, don't worry about that. We're going to kind of lay a foundation for mission and then we're going to try and build a house um, together and actually think what that's going to look like in practice. Okay, so first question. What is the church? Peter is writing this letter to a bunch of Christians who are scattered against modern-day Turkey and they're wrestling with some big questions. They're asking questions like, who are we? Why are we suffering in this life? What are we living for? And verses 9 and 10, Peter is trying to answer those questions. So verse 9, he gives four titles that help them understand who they are. But before we get there, I want us to start off just by looking at verse 10. It says this. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. He's writing to people from different nationalities, from different places, with different life stories, who together have been brought uh, together as God's people. Naturally, people who'd be separate, who supernaturally have been brought together as the people of God. That's how church works, isn't it? We, we love church like that. It is made up of people who naturally shouldn't be in the same room together. Like, look around the room here. We had it in our community group uh, last week. Uh, one, one of the women in our community group said, I love Sundays at church because it's just a bunch of random weirdos joined together by Jesus. Yeah. And I was like, yes, that is what church is, isn't it? Yeah. Like you think about it for Glasgow Grace. Six months ago, most of you were strangers. Naturally apart, God has supernaturally brought you together to be Glasgow Grace. Three years ago is a concept. An idea, a, a way that God might be leading us. Now, this is Glasgow Grace. Beautiful. And how does God do that? How does he take people who naturally should be apart and supernaturally put them together? We see it in the rest of verse 10. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God brings us together supernaturally by his supernatural mercy. God's mercy is the glue that joins us and holds us together as the church. How does it work? Well, if you, if you have your Bibles, skip back to 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Here, Peter starts off his letter with an explosion of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Good song. Thanks, guys. Good name for a church, too. You see, naturally, we are dead in our sins. We have hearts of stone with no spiritual life in them, no interest or love towards God. But in mercy, what God does is he breathes new life into our dead hearts. Like in creation, God spoke into the darkness and said, let there be light, and there is light. So in mercy, God speaks into the darkness of your heart and says, let there be light, and there's light. He changes your hearts of stone for a heart of flesh. So when you hear and you see Jesus, you think he's beautiful. I love what he's done for me. And you will give your life to him. God in his mercy shines his light into the darkness of our hearts. And that totally transforms who we are and how we see ourselves. And so his mercy is the foundation of the church. The church exists because God is merciful. And so, and in that, what God does is he takes these random strangers and he joins them together. He takes people and he gives us a new identity. An identity is not based on us and what we do and how well we achieve things, but it's based on who he is and his mercy and what Jesus has done for us. Isn't that right? That's the gospel. Mm -hmm. That is what Christianity is all about. So four quick titles in verse nine that will help us to understand this title. I'm going to try and speak quick. 
to try and get through this because there's a lot here and I could camp out here for, for weeks just marinating in the beauty of God's mercy. So, so we're going to go fast. You guys go back and look at this yourselves later on. First of all, because of mercy, we are a chosen race. Helpful to think of this one through the lens of sport. I understand everything through the lens of sport, to be honest. Um, in national sport, a, a, a group of people are represented by other people. So uh, we have the agony of the Scottish football team, 11 guys representing us on the pitch getting smashed by Kazakhstan. Painful, right? They lose and we lose. We get the roller coaster of emotion when the Scottish rugby team decide to go 31-0 down in, what was it, five minutes or something. Work it back so they're going to win it. You think, Scotland are going to beat England at Twickenham, and then we throw it away right at the end. Scotland represented by 15 people. When they win, we win. When they lose, we lose. That's the idea here. Instead of a nation represented by 15 people, you have a race represented by one person. See, the Bible says there's, there's two races. There's one human race, and within that, there's two races. One that's represented by Adam, the first ever man, who, when tempted in the garden, disobeys God and brings sin and death and judgment into the world. And the second race, represented by Jesus, the second Adam, who's tempted in the desert, who obeys God and through his death and resurrection brings salvation and life into the world. And so the reality is that as human beings, every single one of us is represented by one of these two people. We're either in Christ or we are in Adam. And what Peter wants us to see is, as Christians, you are part of God's chosen race. You're part of his new humanity. And in this broken humanity that's turned from God, God is choosing people to be part of a new humanity. He's going to make you new. He's going to give you new life in Jesus. And so, because Jesus is your representative, his perfect life becomes your perfect life. So God welcomes you in as his beloved son or daughter. His sin-paying death is yours so that in Jesus you have total forgiveness. Your debt is paid and you bear it no more. In Jesus, his resurrection becomes your resurrection. You have power over sin. You have new life. You walk in freedom. His glorious and victorious ascension is ours. We have life eternal with God forever in his presence. Because of mercy, we are a chosen race. Two, because of mercy, we're a royal priesthood. Okay, this idea shouldn't really go together. Okay, in the Bible, royalty and priests uh, were different things. So kings ruled over God's kingdom and they came from the house of David. Priests, they, they went into God's presence and they offered sacrifice and they represented the people before God and they came from the house of Levi. And so you couldn't be from the house of Levi and the house of David until Jesus comes into this world and he unites these things as uh, the true king who reigns forever on the throne of God's kingdom and as the true priest who is the man who represents us before God forever having uh, sacrificed himself for us. And the beautiful thing here is he says, look, because Jesus is the royal priest and everything that he has is yours, you now are royal priests. <coughs> You're royal priests. And so my wife has a bit of an obsession with Kate Middleton. She's made it her, her goal to meet her. She's a bit of a, I don't want to use the word stalker, but it's l l stalker leanings, if you lean that way. 
stalker tendencies. I'd love it for Anne to, to meet her one day, but I really don't know how it'll ever happen. But just say it did. Imagine Kate wanted to see Anne, or Anne was gonna get to meet Kate. How would that work? She'd need an invite to come from Kate. She'd have to get a whole bunch of security pass, uh, security checks and background checks. She'd have to get dressed up. She'd have to go to a certain place. She'd probably get two minutes max to talk about a certain topic with Kate, right? If you're not part of the royal family, that's how you approach royalty. Now imagine you were Prince George. Imagine Prince George wants to have some time with Kate Middleton, or whatever her surname is nowadays. What does he do? Here's what he does. He shouts. Shouts. He doesn't, doesn't have any travelling to do. His mum will come to him. He doesn't dress up. He can be in his pyjamas. He doesn't have any security checks. He's family. Doesn't have any time limits. He can have as long as he wants talking to his mum for uh, about whatever he wants. Why? Because he's a royal child. And so he has free access into Kate's presence. And that's how it works with us. Because we are in Christ, we have free, present, free access into the presence of God forever. We're born again, we're adopted into his family, God is our father, Jesus is our brother, and we have free access. So God is there for us whenever we want, without needing appointments, no security checks, no dress up, no, no time limit. He is there for us because by mercy we're a royal priesthood. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, because in mercy we are a, a holy nation. Nationalism is a dangerous topic to bring up nowadays, isn't it? <laughs> Nationalism is when we base our identity on where we're from. And so it can be good. If you're on holiday and you're out somewhere and you find another Scot in the pub, they're likely to buy you a beer if they're generous, like Ian. That's a good thing, right? Nationalism goes, hey, you're from Scotland, I'm from Scotland, let's, grab, let's have a beer. It can also be bad. When nationalism defines us, uh, it can lead to racism where we're against people who are different from us. And what Peter wants us to see is that your Christian identity is not based on where you were born. It's based on the fact that you've been born again by God's mercy. And so we have this bunch of weirdos from all over different places joined together by the mercy of God. You see, your passport you get when you're born doesn't come with a citizenship into heaven. The only way into God's kingdom is to be born again by his mercy. But because of that, we know we are part of God's global family. We're part of his kingdom that will last forever. And so Revelation 7 verse 9 tells us what God is doing in this world right now, what mission is about, is God gathering a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, tribe, people and language. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? God is gathering people in from all around the world, every, every tribe and language and nation and tongue, round his throne to worship him. And we're there. And we will spend eternity in, in, as citizens in God's global kingdom. He is make, calling a nation from within the nations, and we're part of it. Because of mercy, we're a holy nation. And last one, because of mercy, we're God's own possession. We've got a three-year-old Cocker Spaniel called Winston, and he is super possessive. 
He's a lot of fun, but he's very possessive. If he sees something, he wants it, he gets it, and when he's got it, it's his. He's not sharing it with no one. Just ask Lynn, whenever she's up visiting us, he, he takes her slippers. That's it for the weekend. So, so there was one day I, I went out into the garden and I found him there with 11 pairs of shoes. <laughs> Just gathering, they're his. They're now my shoes. You've only got four feet. Anyway, um, currently he's mad for a frisbee. And so I take him out for a walk and I got this yellow frisbee and I take the best treats I've got and I throw this frisbee and he runs out and he gets this frisbee and no matter how good the treat is, you know what he does? He runs away. He'll come back to maybe like a couple yards in front of you, but he's not sharing that frisbee with no one. No matter how good the treat is, you will not get the frisbee out of his hands because he loves it so much. That's how God feels about you. You are God's own possession. He wanted you so much, he saw you, and he didn't see anything in you that was like, oh, that's really attractive to me, there's something that they've done that has made me drawn to it. He just said, I love that person, I'm going to give my son for that person, and now I want them all for myself. I'm not going to share them with no one. That's why God hates idolatry so much. I want him, her. I want him, I want her, I want all of them for me because I love them so much you are the object of the God of this universe's affection he lavishes love on you he wants you all to himself because of mercy we are God's own possession that's some identity isn't it some identity that is freely given to you Because God is merciful. Not something you earn, not something you work for. God lavishes that upon you. I just want us to take a minute just to let that sink into your heart. Maybe you want to close your eyes as I I read these truths over us. But maybe imagine God just speaking this over you. In mercy, I've caused you to be born again. In mercy, I've chosen you for life, not death. In mercy, I have given you free access into my presence as a member of my family. In mercy, I have welcomed you as a citizen of my eternal kingdom. In mercy, I have made you the object of my affection. I love you. Friends, that's who we are. Once we were not a people. But now we're God's people. Once we'd not received mercy. But now we've received mercy. So why does the church exist? The answer is much shorter. The church exists because of the rest of verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why does the church exist? The church exists to proclaim the excellencies of God. And what are the excellencies of God? The excellencies of God are the fact that he's called us out of darkness into light. 
the excellencies of God is the mercy of God. It's all those truths that are spoken about you. That is God's excellency. The excellency of God is that in mercy he has called us out of darkness into light so that we can go into, dark, into, the, into a world of darkness as people of light. In mercy, God has called us out of death into life so we might go into a world of death and decay as people of life. In mercy, God has called us out of the nations so that we might go to the nations and proclaim his excellency. So we're two questions down, one to go. Question one, what is the church? The church is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And why does the church exist? The church exists to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I was aiming for 20 minutes and I'm at 20 minutes, 35 seconds, so I'm pleased with that. (laughs) And so what we're gonna do is we are gonna spend the rest of our time in question three. Foundations laid. If question one and question two are true, and they are, what does that mean for you as Glasgow Grace? What does that mean for mission? I've got four implications, four things, four applications that the answer to these two questions mean for you. First one, since you're a church, you exist for mission. I don't know why you join Glasgow Grace. There's probably a lot of different reasons across this room. Maybe you were looking for a reformed and charismatic church in, in Glasgow. Maybe you liked Ian for some reason. Some of you, maybe. Maybe you just wanted something new. Time for a change. Let's try something else. There's probably loads more reasons in this room. And there's, some of them are good reasons to join a church. But there's not why this church exists. See, this church does not exist to meet your needs, although that is part of it. Church isn't about us, is it? Church is about proclaiming the excellency of God. Church exists for God and for his mission, or or for his glory, if you want. And so make it your aim as a church to be known mostly as a church for mission. A church where people who don't know Jesus can come to know Jesus. A a church where people in darkness can come into light. A church where people who are dead can come to life. That's why you're here. See, churches get off mission when other things, and those things can be good, take priority. Let me plead with you, do not let that happen. Do not lose focus over worship style or meeting place or, or, or any of those secondary things that are important but not the, big, not the main thing. Make mission the main thing. Spend your money on mission. Disciple each other towards mission. Structure your church for mission. Make every decision you make as individuals and as a church, look at it through the lens of God's mission because that's why you exist. Keep asking the question, what will best help us to proclaim God's excellency to the people of Glasgow? 
What does it mean for us to exist for God's glory and for Glasgow's good? Keep asking the question. You're a church. So make it all about mission. Two, let mercy fuel that mission. I love how Peter describes God in this passage. You may proclaim the excellencies of God. It doesn't say the okayness of God. You may proclaim that God's okay. No, no, he says proclaim that God is excellent. He doesn't say that, that God has called you out of darkness into light. He says he's called you out of darkness into marvelous light. To Peter, God's light isn't average, it's marvellous. To, to Peter, God is not okay, he is excellent. His heart is full of the excellent marvellousness of God's mercy. And so if you want to be a church that's about mission, you need to be wildly in love with God. You need to regularly go to the spiritual petrol station and have your hearts filled up with, with, the, with the glories of his mercy. How many of you find mission easy? That's what I thought. None of us do, do we? We find mission difficult. We're scared to share our faith with other people. We find it awkward. We're not confident in what might happen or might not happen. And, and do you know why I think that is? I think that's because we tend to focus on, on how to do mission instead of why we do mission. And so we think, oh, I, I want to be someone who's seeing people come into faith. I want to be someone who's sharing my faith. I want to live for God's glory on mission. And so I'm going to go and buy a book. And I'll read the book that will tell me how to do it. I'm going to go to, to a, a listen to a talk that will tell me how to do it. And those resources are good, but focus on strategies and techniques for how to be on mission. And yet, we've got all the books, we've got all the talks... And yet, in my experience, every single Christian struggles to tell others about Jesus. Why? Because our heads are full of strategies, but our hearts are low on mercy. See, the reality is, you speak about what we love. You proclaim what your heart loves. And so this week I was at an Acts 29 conference, which is a part of the network we're part of, and must be conference week for all of these guys. <laughs> We're in Manchester, 170 of us are from across GB, and evening times all going out to different restaurants, three nights where you could eat out. And what happens is everyone spreads out and goes into different groups and different restaurants, and some of the restaurants are okay, and some of them are great, and some of them are rubbish. But there was one that everyone talked about. If you're in Manchester, you should go. It's a barbecue restaurant that was voted the fourth best barbecue restaurant in the world um, in a competition by, in Texas last year. So it's worth going to. I had the tray. Highly recommend it. It was so good that a few people went the first night and they came back and they told others and they go the next day and they tell others until Wednesday lunchtime at the end of the conference, pretty much the whole of Acts 29 are in this restaurant. So good that I've told Johnny and Lynn when they're in Manchester next weekend, you need to book a table and go and eat at this place. Why? Because we proclaim what we love. See, so unless our hearts are full of God's mercy, I don't care how good your strategies are, 
It won't happen. Living on mission is not about learning a technique. It is about learning to love a person. And so let me ask you. How is your heart towards God today? As you come into church today, is it full? Are you coming in and saying, I can't wait to worship God. He's excellent towards me. I can't wait to come and meet his people. It's just marvelous being in God's light together. Or are you running on empty? Is God okay to you today? Is his light just light, but dim? It's why I wish we had three weeks to go through verse 9 together. Let me encourage you to make time wherever you're at to meditate on his mercy. Ask the Spirit to to refresh you, to, to renew your vision of God and all he's done for us and our identity in him so that we might taste and see his goodness again. When did you last taste and see God was good? You want to be on mission? Find what stirs your heart for Jesus and fill your life with it. Let mercy fuel your mission as a church. Thirdly, see your whole life as mission. Notice in these verses, Peter doesn't tell these Christians what to do. He tells them who they are. Two verses, six identity statements. You are a chosen race. You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a people for his own possession. You are God's people. You have received Mercy. See, sometimes we think of mission as an event that we fit into our calendars, don't we? Alpha, Thursday nights, that's when we do mission. What God says is, no, no, no. You are a missionary. Mission isn't something we do, it's something that we are. Spurgeon said it like this. Put it like this. Spurgeon always puts these things well, doesn't he? Two things I wish I had was the succinctness of Spurgeon and the beard of Spurgeon. He said this, as a Christian, you are either a missionary or an imposter. He says it is impossible to be a Christian who's not a missionary. See, mission isn't something we do, it's not an event. It's an identity that we are given by God in his mercy. Every Christian is a missionary. Every church is a mission station. And so the question isn't, are we a missionary or not? The question is, are we good missionaries or not? The question isn't, do we do mission? It's, do we think about the fact that we're on mission? Do we see our life on mission for God? Do we see ourselves as people called uh, called by God from darkness and light and then sent from God as people of light into into darkness? There's, there's two main ditches you can fall into when it comes to living on mission. The first one is separatism. This is when we forget we're missionaries and so we withdraw from the world around us. It seems to be a really easy thing to do. Basically all we do is we look at what the world has out there and we add the word Christian in front of it. And so, so we create Christian equivalents and we live in this Christian subculture instead of living in the real culture of the world. So we have Christian cafes, Christian schools, Christian music, Christian sports teams, Christian book clubs, Christian clothing brands. It's like we take what's going on in the world, just add the word Christian, and that one's for Christians. 
Christians, go there. That's for them, this is for us. So you see it in students, don't you, really clearly? They go down to uni and they've been told, we want you to, to, um, we want you to, to go down and, and to walk with God, good, good desires to have, it's what we want for all, all kids. But they dive into the CU and they make Christian friends, they live in a flat of Christians, they go to the Christians' events and their whole world revolves around that and they manage to miss out on relationships with the non-Christians who are right there in front of them. You see, after uni, people get a house and they keep themselves to themselves. This is my house. Don't worry about the people that live around you. This is about me. We, we go to work. And we work with people 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, but, but we withdraw from the social side of him. And so we're there as colleagues, but not as friends. The thing is, Matthew 9, Jesus is described as a friend of sinners didn't withdraw from this world he entered into this world he pitched his tent among us he ate and drank with tax collectors and prostitutes and so to be like Jesus means to enter into this world to be known as a friend of sinners you want to live as a missionary you are a friend of sinners and by that I mean not can we say a couple of non-christians we know but how many non-christians would count us as friends The ditch on the other side of the road is syncretism. Big fancy word for saying we just become like everyone else around us. You see that in students as well, don't you? Students that come down are so determined to live for Jesus on mission that they throw themselves into everything that other people are doing to the neglect of a church or to a CU and they just become like everyone else. They lose a distinctiveness. You see, after uni, the values by which we live we say we live for Jesus, yet pursue the same things as the people around us who don't know him. We speak the same way, spend our money the same way, pursue our career the same way, pursue financial security the same way. We have our relationships work in the same way instead of letting grace transform them. And so we end up wearing the Christian title but living just like anyone else. Salvation becomes a golden ticket into heaven when we die. <coughs> and the problem with that is that while Jesus was a friend of sinners, he was also without sin. So 1 Peter 1 will call us to be holy as God is holy. We participate in the world around us. We get involved in the world, but we do so in a distinct and godly way. And so are you. Are there any areas of sin in your life that you need to turn from in how you're trying to engage the world around you? The path we're called to walk as God's missionary people is to participate in this world, to be friends of sinners and to do it in a distinct and godly way. People of light in a world of darkness. See your life as mission. Last one. Do mission together. When you think of a missionary, what do you think of? I tend to think of a guy with a backpack, socks and sandals, setting off somewhere across the world on his own to go and reach some unreached people group. What's striking about this passage is it calls us to corporate mission, not individual mission. Your identity as a Christian does not make sense as an individual. I'm not a chosen race, we're a chosen race. You're not a race by yourself. 
I'm not a royal priest. We are a royal priesthood. I'm not just a holy nation. We're a holy nation. I'm not a people for God's own possession. We're a people for God's own possession. The Christian identity only makes sense as we live in community together. Which means if if we want to, to proclaim God's excellencies, we need to live in community together. It means that mission is not merely an individual pursuit. It's a corporate activity that we do together. It's through our shared life together that God reveals his glory into this world. Just think about it. Why is it not good for Adam to be alone? It's not good for man to be alone in Genesis. Why was it not good? Because man by himself could not properly reflect the glory of of a triune God. So it's Adam and Eve who reflect God's glory. God doesn't just call Abraham in the Old Testament. Doesn't just say, Abraham, off you go by yourself. I'm going to work, just work through you. So it's going to be a nation through you I'm going to use. God reveals his glory through his people corporate. And so as you think about Glasgow Grace, you've got to think not just about how I'm going to be an individual missionary, which is right and good and, and good, but you have to think, how are we going to do mission together? How is God's glory going to be revealed through us for the good of Glasgow? And so I want to be real, but I want to be uh, optimistic. So you're, you're a city-centered church. You have people gathered across a city. So, so naturally, a lot of your lives might not connect in ways like that. Your local club might not be other people's local club, and which is, which is a real thing you have to work out as a church. How do we structure ourselves for mission together if, if that's the case? And that's why I'm so excited about your, your Grace Communities that are going to be launching soon. Like, like the meal you're doing on Good Friday. It's so exciting for that because you're breaking down that kind of geographical barrier by saying, hey, let's get these guys on mission and these guys on mission. Guys who are living close to each other, let's be intentional to get our lives together. I can tell you it's possible. We do it in Inverness. And so let me encourage you that you're going to have to be intentional. But God has called you out of a life of individualism into this church body to live life together for his glory and for Glasgow's good. And so be intentional in how you're going to merge your lives together through your grace communities so that the people around you might learn, might see Jesus through you, that you might proclaim his excellencies. It's going to take you to put us ahead of me sometimes. It's going to be challenging, but it's going to be good. It's what you were made for. So get involved in that. See, as you seek to live on mission, here's two easy ways to do this. Two questions. Not easy. Let's not lie. It's not easy. Here's two ways that are helpful. In everything you do, you don't need to add anything else to your diary. I realize that everyone is overly busy already. Ask these two questions. One, could I invite someone from church to do this with me? Is there anyone else in this church that I could easily ask who who could do this with me and we could add a corporate nature to what we do? We could merge our lives together. And then secondly, ask, could I invite someone outside of the church to do this with me? Could I invite someone who doesn't know Jesus to come and to do this thing with me and add, add a missions aspect to everything you do? I found most effective mission happens when you put those two things together because that's how God's planned it to be. God's called us to be on mission together 
as the church to the world. So do mission together. Let me finish up. John Stott says this. If the local church is to act out its God-appointed role, it must understand itself and organize itself appropriately. And so as you grow together as Glasgow Grace, you're still young as you, as you find your way, as you, as you learn what it means to live as Glasgow Grace together, know your identity as the people of God. Know your purpose to declare the excellencies of God. And then live life on mission for his glory and for Glasgow's good. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful and grateful and humbled by your mercy towards us. Lord, we were dead in sin when we had no interest in you. You spoke into our hearts by your Spirit's power. In your mercy, you said, let there be life. You have shone your glory into the darkness of our hearts. You have... You've taken our hearts of uh, stone and replaced them with hearts of flesh, which would love you and live for you. You've, you've breathed new life into us, Lord. We're so thankful and grateful. So, Lord, we thank you for our identity in Christ. Thank you that because of who he is, we have free and total access into your, your, um, your presence. Thank you we're part of your global kingdom. Thank you that you lavish love upon us. Thank you that you've given us life and new life and you call us to live life as it was intended to be. Lord, thrill our hearts with those truths today. Delight us in them so that we might proclaim you as excellent to this world. So that we might say that your light is marvellous. Lord, fill us anew with your, your love. Holy Spirit, refresh our hearts, renew and refill our, our spiritual tank. Let us experience your mercy even as we think about it and sing about it together today. And then, Lord, catapult us out on mission together. Lord, help us to see our lives as individuals, as missionaries, that we exist to proclaim your excellencies in this world. Help us to see why you have given us breath and life. And Lord, bless this church as they seek to do this together. Lord, fill them with enthusiasm and excitement and optimism at what you are going to do through them. Lord, a few years ago, this... This church was a dream, a prophetic word spoken, but nothing visible. And yet, Lord, today there sits a church called Glasgow Grace in the middle of Glasgow. And so, Lord, take our dreams and our hopes and take the, the, the vision for this church. And in five years' time, in three years' time, would we be looking back and saying, look what you've done, how you've answered those prayers. Lord, as Moses said, he wouldn't leave Sinai unless you were with him. Lord, would you be with Glasgow Grace? 
go with them as they seek to live on mission for you and to proclaim your excellencies in this world. Lord, I pray that you would use them for your glory and for Glasgow's good. In Jesus' name. Amen.